Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Betting Life Podcast brought to you by Fantasy Life. I'm Matthew Friedman, Matt F. The Oracle. It is Tuesday, so it's time for a bigger picture episode, and it's week nine, so the exact halfway point of the NFL regular season. This feels like a good opportunity to reset and to look at the futures and the award markets with fresh eyes, so that's what we're doing today. And joining us for this discussion is Austin Gale of The Ringer and Spotify. Austin, how's it going, man? Doing fantastic. How about yourself? Yeah, doing well. I mean, you know, other than the fact that I'm terrible at betting against the spread, other than that, uh, it's it's a good season. Doing doing well on props, uh, you know, hanging in there on totals. Basically, I should just be blindly betting unders because, uh, you know, those are just uh, cashing at an inordinate rate. But uh, yeah, it's a good season. It is an interesting season. And, uh, you know, I mean, there are a lot of interesting like award angles. Um, I say it's interesting. It's a weird season. And that like, we'll talk about this for the MVP market. This might be the weirdest MVP market that we have had so far uh, of like maybe the past 10 years. Um, No one's really standing out. Uh, You know, it feels like whoever wins this award will kind of win it by default. Um, It might be a situation where whoever uh, does win it is not on the best team in the league, which is kind of a rarity. Uh, so a lot of different ways to approach the the player markets and then by extension, the team markets. So a, a very wide open season, which uh, I feel like has led to a lot of chaos in the betting markets, but uh, a really intriguing season. And let's start with comeback player of the year. I imagine that you have some opinions on this. And I will just say, kind of looking looking at the market now, DeMar Hamlin is uh, a minus 110 favorite. Now he was like minus 300 or thereabouts before the season started. It just felt like it was assumed like a certainty that he was going to be the comeback player of the year. Now it's a little bit less of a certainty. He has been active in only one game this year. He hasn't played any snaps this year, but he's still, you know, on the roster. And I mean, I don't want to like sound like a jerk. He's alive right? Like that feels like this is sort of like what the award is. Like you went through an ordeal on the football field and you survived and you are still playing in the league. Here's an award to honor that. Uh, and like, I'm not making light of it. Cause that like is an accomplishment at the same time. Like, I don't know if that is enough to convince voters to give him this award, but it is kind of hard to say if it's not Hamlin, who else is it? What are your thoughts on this market? It's tough, right? I think that when it was such a heavy favorite prior to the season, I think it, you know, it left a bad taste in my mouth. Honestly, I, I, I think it, it, it. Obviously, Demar Hamlin should be celebrated for surviving, and it should be a massive positive that he is alive and healthy and healthy enough to play football again. But the award, which I don't think what it, this was initially what it was intended for, becomes way too close to like this purple heart for the league when DeMar Hamlin is given to it. If, if the voters do give it to DeMar Hamlin at the end of the year, the other piece of this is the second favorite or the one behind DeMar Hamlin is Tua Tungavailoa at plus 300 who doctors have said against another concussion, he could die. Like to me, this award has become awkward and almost like, I mean, awkward is not even the right word. It's just, an, it's an interesting award that the NFL will have that in the past it's given to people like Alex Smith, who's had a severe leg injury or, you know, Brees Hall is another person on the list, you know, obviously suffered a torn ACL last year. Like maybe that makes sense. And and maybe it's just always this award that if you suffer a major injury, when you come back and you have success, that's what the award is. But like now with the danger of the game being more prevalent and more prominent than ever with concussions and obviously the DeMar Hamlin situation last year, I don't know. Like the award is it's a hard one to vote for, right? I think that maybe it's not this year that that changes, right? And DeMar Hamlin is given the award when he does play a game this year or whatever, or even Tua Tagovailoa gets it after surviving and playing, you know, after multiple concussions last year. But I hope there is some conversation in the league about this award at some point because I don't know if it's best for the league for this award to become essentially who got hurt really bad last year and who can play again. Like that is, you know, they don't even do that. They don't do that in a lot of other places. So it's, it's worrying. Yeah. I I think part of it is that there is no clear kind of structure 
for what this award means. There are like no real guidelines, hard and fast guidelines, the criteria by which uh, decisions are made for this award. Uh, as you say, it does feel like, you know, because injuries are so impactful in terms of games played, games missed, performance in those games, that this is an award that is highly correlated to returning from an injury. Uh, I will say that someone who does stand out, I, and I hadn't really thought about this, but like if it's not Damar Hamlin, it still feels like it would maybe be someone who's like gone through something really uh, like catastrophic on the injury front and somehow like miraculously come through it. And I would say that's Aaron Rodgers. Mm -hmm. Like if Aaron Rodgers plays a game this year, and if it's the kind of thing to where somehow the jets actually sneak into the playoffs as the seven seed, um, 30 to one right now at DraftKings. <laughs> like I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about it, but like that might be the way that I, that I try to approach this. That might be the best comeback player of the year or to come back in the same season, I think would be, uh, right. I don't yeah. that, that's insane. I don't think the award has ever been given to someone who's suffered a major injury and then came back within that year. Obviously, uh, Aaron Rodgers would love that attention as well. The, the name I put up that I, I don't, I don't know if I necessarily bet it, but it's a, it's, I think a better way to talk about the award, someone who hasn't come back from a major injury, but is, you know, coming back from, you know, what has been a very like tough start to his NFL career is Josh Dobbs. And he's been on, you know, what, three different NFL teams in this calendar year. And I think it's a very good chance to lead the Minnesota Vikings to the seventh seed in the NFC playoffs. That to me is like a legitimate, you know, comeback player of the year. Someone who is coming back, not necessarily from injury, but from, you know, not having the success he started in his career and like actually developing and maturing. And it's like the award did become an award where it was given to an NFL player that maybe did not have the fastest start to his career, but eventually, you know, through all the stuff that Dobbs has done, got better and matured as a player. I don't know. I, I, I like Dobbs as a player and, and I can get, I can get behind that process more than, you know, aligning with like who got hurt the most and, and going from there. So if we look at uh, the Dobbs thing is interesting. I I don't think I would be betting on it in part because there's nothing really to come back from. It's just sort of like an emerging versus yeah. a, a coming back. But like to your, I think your larger point stands. I mean, he's been on five different teams in the last 365 days. One of them twice, like two different stints with the Browns. So uh, you know, Josh Dobbs as a you know uh, ten to one, uh, eight to one, uh, you know proposition in the market. Uh, he is someone who is intriguing coach of the year. It feels like it's been sort of locked up for a while, just in terms of like the narratives um, that people have wanted to give this to Dan Campbell. Yeah. And uh, I entirely get it. Um, and of like a sports betting perspective, like the dude is a hero, like he covers, he's a covering machine. And like, that is one thing that will get all sports fans, like sports betters in general, like loving you is if like your team routinely week to week exceeds expectations. And it feels like Campbell's lions have been doing that for a couple of years now. Um, and I feel like, especially his first year, he was able to thread that needle of, uh, facilitating a rebuild while also getting his team like competitive now, like mm -hmm. playing with that like mindset now of week to week, we can compete. So I understand why Dan Campbell is the favorite in this market. Um, but at the same time, it's just, I feel like it's kind of hard for a guy whose team entered the year with a decent amount of hype to win this award if it's not the number one seed. So maybe it happens. But I'm looking a little bit more down the board, but I think you're still with Dan Campbell uh, at, uh, let me see, plus 210. What do you think of Campbell here? Yeah, I like Campbell a lot. And I agree. And, you know, we talk a lot about the process for the Comeback Player of the Year Award. I think coaching, the Coach of the Year Award is reality versus expectations and how far above those expectations are you. I still feel like the sports writers and the people who vote for this award have expectations as much as bigger as they've gotten for the lions still that they're the lions right they, this these are the detroit lions they i think have the longest active streak of not winning a playoff game in the nfl and dan campbell i think very likely wins the nfc north and has a good enough record 
going into the playoffs for a home playoff game that the you know the award is given to them at plus two ten. Reading the rest of their schedule, they have the Chargers this week off a bye, and the Chargers are on a short week having played last night, Monday night. Then they play the Bears at home, the Packers at home, they go to New Orleans to play the Saints, then they go to Chicago to play the Bears, they have the Broncos at home, they play Minnesota on the road, then they have the Cowboys on the road, hardest game rest on the schedule, and then they play the Vikings at home. That, to me, is one of the easiest schedules, especially when you look at quarterback play for the rest of the year. I mean, you have Justin Herbert, Dak Prescott, everyone else not at the top of the league. I think they end up finishing the year with a really good record. I think they win the NFC North, and everyone's talking about the Detroit Lions as, like, finally getting like turning the corner, which has been, like, one of the more successful, stable, three-year rebuilds under a new head coach. Okay, I I buy it, and I feel like that it is probably the bet to make. I will make the case for D'Amico Ryan's at six to one at DraftKings. And full disclosure, I already have a ticket on him from the preseason at twenty five to one. So a little bit of this is like confirmation bias. Me, I love it. my, uh, you know, talking my my book, but it's been a massive turnaround. They already have more wins uh, in this season through eight games than they had in each of the previous two seasons when they went three and 13 and three and 14 Ryan's last year, one assistant coach of the year, like the league already is enamored with him. Uh, he was defensive rookie of the year as a player and as a pro bowler. And so like, I feel like that sort of like, um, I'm trying like that credibility, like as a player and then as a coach kind of has carried him to this point in his career and could help carry him with voters because like he has already such a good reputation in the league. And then the team is seeing immediate results right now. Um, but I do think it might be a situation where they have to make the playoffs in order for him to get this award, uh, like getting, getting even nine wins might not be enough to yeah. get the award or to get into the playoffs in a very tough conference. And so, you know, thinking about this team getting to 10 wins or needing to somehow overcome the Jags to win the division, that is a lot to ask. And I don't know if six to one is enough in terms of the odds to, to warrant that. Uh, so if I had to bet anything, I don't know. I, I would still be interested in D'Amico Ryans, but Dan Campbell at you know plus two ten is maybe the right call there. I, uh, I think with, with defensive. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was gonna say with D'Amico. You go I, ahead. I, yeah. I love D'Amico as much as anybody. I think D'Amico has been awesome. I think he and Bobby Slowick, what they've done with this team so quickly is incredible. They'll get their flowers with CJ Stroud winning offense break of the year. I just think that they won't be able to make the playoffs with how fierce the AFC North is and like the Cleveland Browns, the Cincinnati Bengals, all Pittsburgh Steelers, all having like these, these crazy positive records. I think um, New York times model has the Texans making the playoffs 32% of the time. I just don't think that's enough, right. To bet him. Now, if you start to see things change in the AFC North and maybe the Steelers start to fall out and the Browns start to fall out and the Texans playoff chances increase, I think his, 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 his price will also, you know, get a little bit lower, but at the same time, I think that's when I start to get more into it right now. I think Dan Campbell's the bet. All right, well, let me tell you something. If the Texans actually have a 32% chance of making the playoffs, then I think D'Amico is actually a value at 6-1. to one. I would I would put the odds of them uh, making the playoffs as lower than that, but you know, 32%, that comes out to uh, like around plus 200, plus 225 odds, kind of mm -hmm. in between there. That's a good and, point. Um, you know, I don't think it... I don't think it's a direct correlation of make the playoffs, win the award, but I think there's a pretty strong correlation between those two. Uh, all right. Defensive rookie of the year. Um, it's a two man race. It's, you know, Jalen Carter as a, a minus 200 minus 300 favorite. And then after him, you have Devon Witherspoon who is plus 200 plus 300 across the market. And then a whole bunch of other guys. Uh, how would you bet this? Uh, or even if you're not betting this, how are you, how are you perceiving this market? Yeah, it's just probably a stay away for me. I have a ticket on Jalen Carter from the preseason. He was my preseason pick for defensive rookie of the year, kind of taking advantage of you know, defensive tackles, not winning this award a ton. Um, and my opinion on the stay away, even though maybe there's value on Devin Witherspoon, um, at plus 300, 
for me, he just had to have so many more picks, right? In this award, I think Defensive Rookie of the Year award, the Offensive Rookie of the Year award, those awards are such stats awards. And, like, if he doesn't get, like, a woolen amount of picks over the second half of the season, it's hard for me to put him ahead of Jalen Carter, who is one of the best defensive players, if not the best defensive player, on what could be or should be the number one team in the NFC. So I don't know. I, I think it's Jalen Carter's award, and he continues to impress me. I think he's also the best rookie, right? And I know take your analysis of the player out of some of these conversations just because I don't think the award often – the award race often comes to that, so much more stats-driven. But Jalen Carter is the best rookie we've seen on the defense side of the ball this year. Will Anderson comes close, but he doesn't have the stats – to kind of have the same odds as Devin Witherspoon. But yeah, it's a stay away bet for me. I'm going to lean on the, the preseason taking on Jalen Carter. All right, that's nice. I think that's probably right. If I had to bet in this market, I wouldn't be laying, you know, minus 200. Uh, that's the, the shortest number uh, that you can get on Jalen Carter at DraftKings. I wouldn't be laying minus 200, um, but I, I really don't have a lot of conviction either on Devon Witherspoon at three to one at FanDuel and BetMGM. So I would probably be passing in this. All right, Offensive Rookie of the Year. Uh, it, it feels, um, I mean, it feels like it would be nearly impossible for CJ Stroud not to win the award at this point, barring injury. It feels like that is the yeah. only thing that could keep him from winning. Uh, but what are your thoughts here? No, I'm with you 100%. And this is a war that, you know, in the preseason, I had Anthony Richardson because I thought he racked up a ton of stats in Sykes' offense, and I think he was on pace for that. Obviously, the injury kept him from this. But C.J. Stroud, what he's doing is, I think, the best start, best eight-game start we've seen from a rookie quarterback since Justin Herbert. And Justin Herbert obviously won the award. That same year, Justin Jefferson broke Randy Moss's rookie record. Uh, I, I think about another time where Kyler Murray won the award when Josh Jacobs had an insane season for the Las Vegas Raiders. This is a quarterback award, oftentimes. and if you have the stats to do it, you're going to win it. And I think uh, that to me, I think Stroud is minus 500 right now. I, I'm not, I'm not touching that at this point. I think I'm, I'm staying away from this market. You know what? I, I would, oh, man, I I'm of two different minds on this. As you say, this is a quarterback award and I don't think people have actually caught up to the extent mm -hmm. to which this actually is a quarterback award. Like if there is a rookie quarterback who has a good season and starts like 15 games, you know, sometimes yeah. maybe even like 14 or 13 games. That is usually enough for a guy to win this award. Uh, unless, unless a running back has like an all time great type of like a Saquon level rookie type of season. But even then it might be close. As you mentioned, Justin Jefferson breaking uh, Randy Moss's record still wasn't able to win this award. Mm -hmm. So I, I do think that it is pretty handily Stroud. Uh, man, I would be a little bit tempted, actually, even with the long odds of minus 500, to put a little bit on this because it feels like this is about as safe as any of the awards will get, unless Stroud suffers an injury. Mm -hmm. And you know, if you think of like what are the odds of uh, a quarterback suffering an injury, like in, in most cases, like a quarterback will play um, you know, like he will miss half a game during the season, uh, just kind of like in terms of like what happens 50% of the time, uh, you know, minus 500, that's like 83.3%, uh, probability. So like, if you think that it is, uh, you know, greater than 13% that we see Stroud play, you know, 16 plus games this year then it probably makes sense to be betting on this, even though the odds are so long. But I, I'm not saying that I'm going to do it, but I'm actually going to think about it. Uh, if I had to take a long shot in this market, uh, it actually might be Devon A-Chain. But mm -hmm. that's kind of under the assumption that he has a decent chance of returning to action after the bye week. Um, and he looks like the guy that he looked like early in the year, but that is still like a lot of assumptions there. So I don't think I would be getting into this market, uh, on a long shot. I'm going to think about the Stroud factor a little bit more. All right. Defensive player of the year. Whew. Uh, this is, I feel like this is where stuff really gets intriguing because this is like a defensive type of year in general. I, mm -hmm. I, I mentioned at the top of the, the podcast how scoring is down, unders are crushing, uh, defenses are doing very well, 
And a lot of that is driven by some of the high impact defenders that we have in the league right now. And uh, you have three of them right up at the very top. Micah Parsons, Miles Garrett, TJ Watt. Is there a way in this market? And they are like all clustered together mm -hmm. and then a big tier drop after them. Is there a way that you are leaning right now in this market? I wanted to say going into this conversation, TJ Watt, even though it's at plus 250, he's the lowest usually in any any marketplace you're looking at of the Micah Parsons, Miles Garrett contingent. But like the the, the problem is, is we, we don't know if the Steelers are making the playoffs. And I'd say odds are they aren't. And you look at the last 10 years for this award, they've all made the playoffs, right? Even when Cleo Mack won it with the Oakland Raiders, the Oakland Raiders made the playoffs that year. And that to me... That to me, we talk a lot about process with these awards. Like, I don't know, like the league leader in sacks, or no, the league leader in pressures and tackles for loss, and then a, a player who has nine and a half sacks, which is not far off from the lead league, is Max Crosby, and he's plus 3,300. Why? Because Raiders aren't making the playoffs. But like, there's an argument that he's been the best defensive player this year, right? Like, the best defensive player. Uh, if, if, and if he continues, like, there's a chance he finishes the lead this season with the most sacks of any player and the most tackles for loss and the most total pressures, which pressures isn't an official stat that voters were probably considering 10 years ago, but it's definitely one now. And I don't know, like, do I put, I'm a Raiders fan. I'm from Oakland. Do I put a little, you know, a shekel on Max Crosby thinking that the award changes pace and they do give it to Crosby because he's going to finish with all these like counting stats that are really good. Even if the Raiders don't make the playoffs, I don't know. It's almost a stay away market for me. Cause like, you're betting you're not uh, if you're just staying in those three tj watt miles garrett michael parson you're not getting you, you have to make sure all three make the playoffs which you're getting you you don't necessarily know with cleveland and you don't necessarily know with pittsburgh with michael parsons and maybe why this is he's consistently the favorite in the marketplace is the dallas cowboys are definitely making the playoffs so maybe you take that value there i don't know it's a tough market to bet because like that wrench being you're not just betting the best defensive player he has to make the playoffs uh, at least that's what the award has been over the last 10 years yeah, it, it certainly helps if the team makes the postseason. If they don't make the postseason, they need to have uh, like an outstanding, like elite defense um, and, you know, like circumstances to where it's explainable why they didn't make the playoffs. Like, okay, your quarterback got injured or yeah. your, your offense sucks or whatever it is. Um, and I, I do feel that with the Steelers, there is this scenario where like, Mike Tomlin and his voodoo magic, like that might be enough to get the Steelers into the playoffs. And if not the playoffs, at least like contending for a playoff spot mm -hmm. in the last week of the season. And, you know, especially with how they would get to the playoffs with it being done on the back of their defense, dragging a terrible offense there. I feel like that narrative actually might be enough to get Watt there. And we actually have, like we've seen Watt win that's this right. award right. before it, and we have seen um the the Steelers struggle so much without him like last year when he was injured and they lost all of those games and then he comes back and they win all of those games so that's like a really clean data point for like a voter to look at and say like see this is one of the few defensive players who actually does make a difference and like we have been able to see that manifest on the field based on how the team has performed with him and without him. So like, I feel like there's a case to be made for Watt and the fact that he's the longest uh, makes him a little bit more attractive relative to Miles Garrett, relative to Micah Parsons. So I, I'm not sold that I'm definitely betting on TJ Watt, but he's he's in the crosshairs and I'm I'm thinking about it. One player who is a, further, a little bit further down the board and I want to get your thoughts on, uh, Aiden Hutchinson, like, I don't think that he probably, I, I don't, you know what? I, we don't even need to talk about Hutchinson. I don't think he's going to be live at all, mm -hmm. but he's 40 to one. And I feel like he is going to like, definitely be in the playoffs and the lions defense has improved so much year over year. And he's kind of the face of that improvement. 
that he might get a little bit of love. But I actually, I just, if you have something you want to say about Aiden Hutchinson, fine. But just me asking the question is like, no, there's no way he's jumping over all three of Watt, Garrett, and Parsons. Yeah. That just feels so improbable. I think that the hardest one for him to beat out would be Parsons, right? Because I think his, his and Parsons numbers will look very similar at the end of the year. You know, Aiden Hutchinson also only has four and a half sacks on the season, whereas Michael Parsons has seven and a half and like it's a sacks award when it comes down to it too and i, I misspoke it hasn't been 10 years since uh a, a a defensive player has won defensive player of the year without the playoffs the last one was jj watt in 2014 with that texans team so like tj watt maybe is the bet here even if he doesn't make the playoffs the steelers you know going nine and seven again and and uh you know with that with watt in that defense all right offensive player of the year this is a market that I find really intriguing because you have uh, a number of guys who are just balling out on offense, even though it has not been a strong year for the offensive side of the ball, a few guys who are doing incredibly well. One of them, Tyree Kill, I feel like earlier in the year, it was just almost assumed that this was, uh, you know, like the Tyree Kill award. He was, uh, I think, is still maybe pacing for over 2,000 yards receiving. Uh, he's just been fantastic in his second year with the Dolphins. After that, you have Christian McCaffrey, who has just been an absolute baller uh, since the trade to the 49ers and earlier in the year was getting some MVP hype and actually like still has like, you know, if you're looking in the MVP market, like way shorter odds than you would probably imagine, given that the 49ers have lost three games in a row. Uh, but, you know, McCaffrey in this market, offensive player of the year, He's right there with Tyree Kill. And then you have like this little half teardrop. And underneath them, you have A.J. Brown, who has just been dominant for the past, I don't know, like getting close to two months now. Uh, and then after them, a really big tier break. And you have guys like Jamar Chase, Stefan Diggs, and some of the quarterbacks that you would look at. But this really feels right now like a three-person race between Hill, McCaffrey, and A.J. Brown do you have any way that you lean in this market? Yeah, if I had to place a bet, I'd probably go Brown at six to one. I think that makes sense. I think he's been awesome this year. I mean, that that streak of games he had with over 125 yards receiving, he continues to be like when they need a play, they can get it. And that to me is like always what the offensive player of the year should be. It's someone that maybe who isn't a quarterback. That's what the award has become too of late too, which is fantastic. Like it's non-quarterback. That's, you know, the first six favorites on, on any marketplace is probably a non-quarterback that is just dominating, right? Dominating in this player that when you need something, when you need a bucket, you can go get it. And like Tyreek Hill and, 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 and Chris McCaffrey, I think are the rightful favorites. I think both those guys or their offenses make that off those offenses work. But if you were going to bet, I don't know if I necessarily like Tyreek or Christian McCaffrey at their current prices. I think I would take Brown if I had to place a bet. The thing with McCaffrey that scares me a little bit is that he does play the running back position and it's just a yeah. little more fragile. Obviously like Christian McCaffrey is so tough, um, you know, and he, he has a history of being able to play while injured, but it's just a position where even if a guy is out there with all of the accumulated, you know, nicks that a guy can get during the season, maybe he's less efficient as the season progresses. Uh, and the production that we would expect him to have by the end of the year, maybe, uh, isn't really there, uh, with Tyreek Hill. Yeah. I mean, he's just absolutely destroying defenses right now, but, uh, that offense for the dolphins, I mean, obviously it's great, but, uh, it hasn't been as good recently. Uh, it does feel like teams are starting to catch up to them just a little bit. Um, and so I, I, I do think that it is probably right that McCaffrey and Hill are ahead of Brown, but I feel like his odds should be much closer to theirs than what we see in the market with him being six to one Tyree kill the best odds you can get with him right now. Plus plus one forty plus 160 for McCaffrey. That just feels like too big of a gap given what we have seen out of A.J. Brown and given the fact that he is on, if not the best team in the league, a team that has a very good chance of getting the number one seed. And, and what he has done since week three, obviously like weeks one and two, he wasn't getting the ball that much. Uh, you know, he made uh, his desires known to get the ball more. And since then, in seven games, he has been fed. He's had 76 targets. 
he's turned that into almost 900 yards receiving. Like it is kind of unreal what he's been able to do in the past seven games. And now you have a team that looks like it will be without uh, tight end Dallas Goddard for a little chunk of time. So, I mean, it's inconceivable to say that we could maybe somehow even see more targets going to AJ Brown, but uh, it, like that's a slight possibility. But what seems like much likelier is that we won't see like the target degradation that you just might naturally see through regression striking it. Like maybe he is able to fight off regression a little bit longer because there is no really solid tight end to soak up targets. So AJ Brown, six to one, really intriguing. Uh, I'm not saying I'm definitely betting it, but I'm going to be thinking about it quite a bit. And it would not surprise me if I did bet it uh, throughout the week here. All right, MVP. This is the market that people really care about. And uh, I already have a number of positions established on this from the the preseason. But man, this is a market that I've talked about this at the top of the show is wide open. And I feel like it's wide open because we have a lot of mediocre performances to date. So just kind of looking at the top of the board here, Patrick Mahomes, the best odds for him right now, plus 350. I don't know if we could say that like Mahomes has been even like a top three quarterback this year. He probably hasn't been, but he's Patrick Mahomes. He's won the award twice. He's won the Super Bowl twice. And his team right now is tied for the number one seed in the AFC. You know, like Mm -hmm. this is so much of a team based award um, that I feel like people like general people like you might post something on Twitter saying, oh, here are the MVP odds. And they might be like, Patrick Mahomes has sucked this year. Like there's no way he should win the MVP. And it's like, well, okay, that might be fair. But if you had to predict who wins the award, you basically just pick the player who means the most to the offense on one of the two teams that gets the number one seed. Like that on its own gets you quite a bit there. Uh, And so that's the case for Patrick Mahomes here at the top of the market. Shortly after him, you have Jalen Hurts at four to one, Lamar Jackson, five to one, Tua Tagovailoa, uh, plus 650, Joe Burrow, nine to one, and then a really steep drop after that, Josh Allen and Trevor Lawrence, 22 to one, and then a bigger drop off after that. You have a number of guys in the 40 to one range, Jared Goff, Brock Purdy, you have Christian McCaffrey at 50 to one. That is the market as it stands right now. What catches your eye? I think that if I, you know, looking at Lamar Jackson, who is right behind, you know, Patrick Holmes and Jalen Hurts is the favorite. And I think a lot of that is because the Ravens of any team, even in the AFC or the NFC, have a shot at knocking off, or no, any team in the AFC have a shot at knocking off Patrick Holmes' number one seed is the Ravens. They both have the same record right now. And like, I think you're right to correlate quarterback on the number one seed team if they have the stats to match it up and they played the full season. There's a good chance that that player will win the MVP and should be the favorite, you know, down the stretch of the season. Another player I like, even though lower odds to get the number one seed, I still think they have a really good shot to win their own division is Tua Tagovailoa and the Miami Dolphins. Right now, Tua Tagovailoa leads the league in passing yards and touchdowns and he's plus 650, (laughs) you know, and that's again, because it's a team war, right? It's not, and they haven't played well of late you know, a little bit of a skid or the last three games where the offense hasn't looked great. No slump buster better than hosting the Las Vegas Raiders this upcoming week. So I do think his odds could change after this week. But then looking ahead and why I'm more, more lenient, I want to lean more into Lamar Jackson potentially than Tua Tungabailoa. And I think this is maybe why he's a, you know, a, a cheaper or a better price is after the Raiders, the Dolphins have to play the Jets twice. The Ravens in Baltimore, and Mike McDonald is putting on a masterclass of defense coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens. They have to play the Cowboys, and they have to play the Bills again. Even if they win, you know, there's, there's chances they win those games. They're obviously a very talented team, but like that's going to be a very tough defense for Tua to put up the stats necessary to kind of keep this pace. So I don't know. I think probably not betting Mahomes right now. If I was betting a quarterback if I, in the NFC, I'd probably take Hurts. But at the same time, I think the better options are either Lamar or Tua right now. Those are the two quarterbacks that I like more. So what what strikes me about Tua um, is that even though he is leading the league in different passing categories, because of the wins, I just don't think he's he's going to get there. 
And it reminds me of uh, 2021 when we had in the MVP market, Tom Brady leading the league in passing, um, but not beating out Aaron Rodgers. Mm-hmm. And like, what was the difference? All right, Rodgers was slightly more efficient on a, a per attempt basis. And the Packers had the number one seed. <laughs> you know, like that was that was the real difference. And, and that was enough for Rodgers to get 39 of the votes in the market and Tom Brady to get only 10. And I, I feel like we could see something like that again, where even if Tua uh, is, you know, easily the league leader in passing, the Dolphins as a team just don't have enough wins for him to be for him to be able to overcome whoever is the quarterback on the number one seed. And Lamar Jackson at five to one feels like he's got a really good shot in part because he doesn't have to play the Bills or the Chiefs or like, you know, uh, a team like that coming up. Like, yeah, they have they have the Browns. They have the Bengals. Those will be tougher matchups. And they still have the 49ers on their schedule. But being able to sidestep uh, a schedule with the Bills and the Chiefs feels like already a really big win for for the Ravens, given that they are tied at 7-2 and two with the Chiefs for the number one seed. So if I had to enter this market right now, I would be very tempted by Lamar Jackson 5-1. to one. Um, but I, I haven't bet it yet. I don't have a position on Lamar Jackson yet. I was thinking about betting it a couple of weeks ago when I think this was seven to one and I, I didn't do it then. Part of it is that like, there's a projection involved, I think with betting on Lamar Jackson. And the projection is that this offense will get better and that Jackson's role in the offense will improve. Like the offense has gotten better, but it's the defense that is carrying this team and Jackson, even though, even though the Ravens have been scoring a lot of points recently, Jackson hasn't been lighting it up in like a statistical perspective. And this award is like a combination of like team wins and like statistical dominance. And we haven't seen the statistical dominant side from Lamar Jackson yet. Like that's not to say he can't do it because we know he can, but like there's the projection of like, we need him to really pick it up for the rest of the season in order for MVP voters to be able to look at his raw numbers and say like, yeah, that is MVP worthy. And I'm just like, I'm not sold that we actually will get it out of Lamar. It's just like, you have to project that we get it. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that what has impressed me offensively is that for the start of the season, the Ravens were really struggling to have success on an EPA per rush or even a success rate perspective, running the ball without Lamar Jackson. And it's been such a focus for Monken to develop that rushing attack that isn't over lenient on Jackson because he wants to protect him and also wants to develop him as a dropback passer. Over the last few weeks with Keaton Mitchell and Gus Edwards and, and even some Justice Hill, that rushing attack has gotten a lot better. And now only the Miami Dolphins on just running back rush attempts have more EPA per rush than the Baltimore Ravens. So as that offense is being elevated and there is, again, this less need to like lean on Lamar Jackson as a rusher, it's something that Monken, I think, has publicly said he does not want to like give this guy, you know, 150, 200 carries like he, you know, they maybe he's tracked for in the past. Um, that to me wor- worries me a little bit about the stats. But if they get the number one seed, right, they get the number one seed over the Chiefs, uh, th- these odds flip in a hurry. Yeah, absolutely. Number one seed cures everything. One more player I want to get your thoughts on here. Trevor Lawrence at 22 to one and the thesis behind this investment, and I haven't made it yet, but you know, thinking about it, the thesis is something like, okay, uh, this was the number one pick just a couple of years ago. He showed improvement last year. Uh, he could continue to improve this year as the team progresses through the season. And they are six and two in a really soft division. Uh, and that gives them a shot to get the number one seed, given that, you know, the chiefs are seven and two, the Ravens are seven and two, the Jags are right there with them at six and two. And you look at the schedule that they have to face for the second half of the year. And it really is not daunting. Now they've got the 49ers this week. Uh, The thing is they're coming out of the bye. So, you know, maybe a slightly better situation for them. But after that, 
you've got Tennessee, you've got the Texans, a tough matchup in week 13 uh, in primetime going against the Bengals. Uh, you know, tough matchups again after that, the Browns and the Ravens. But like, if those are the hardest teams on your schedule, you have a pretty soft schedule. And uh, I I could see how they go on a run and they win, you know, let's say all but two of those games uh, that they have for the rest of the season because they close out the final three weeks, Tampa Bay, Carolina, Tennessee. <laughs> like you don't get a much softer stretch to close the year than those three teams. And like MVP voters are most focused on what's happening at the very end of the season. Yeah. So like it could be a situation where, uh, you know, the chiefs somehow lose a couple of games at the end of the year, the Jags are able to overcome them and Trevor Lawrence just lights it up in those three final weeks. So like, I'm obviously like painting a very specific picture, but I'm just trying to say like, I feel like there's a path to this happening. And at 22 to one, it's something at least like to consider, but what are your thoughts on Trevor Lawrence? I, you know, you've talked me into it because, you know, looking at his, you know, rest of season schedule, I worry about matchups against the Niners, the Bengals, the Browns, and the Ravens. You know, that's four of the next, um, you know, seven or eight games that they have left. That, that worries me from a stats perspective. I also think that there's a good chance they go 500 in those games, right? You know, say you win, win two, lose two. But when you look at the back half of that schedule, like you said, Bucks, Panthers at home, and then going to Tennessee to finish the season, those three games could be an opportunity where the Jaguars are really positioning themselves as a team to beat in the playoffs, and and, and there's hype around Trevor Lawrence being that person who's taking him over. I, I do think the recency bias could come into effect. At 22-1, to 1, I, I think it makes a good bet. I think we don't know where Mahomes sits at that point. We don't know where Hurts and, and uh, Jackson sit at that point. But still, I think at 22-1, to 1, seeing this rest of season, Jags could be in a prime spot, uh, and so could Trevor Lawrence. All right, so I'm gonna have to think about that one. I I ultimately might not lock that one in, but it's it's one to at least consider here. All right, looking at the futures markets, the team level uh, bets that we can be making here. Division odds to win the division. Now, obviously, like entering the season, everyone has their own way of how they think these divisions are going to play out, and you know some of those have come to fruition to this point in the year, and then some of them have been totally upended. Uh, a lot of division bets that could still be made right now. What is the favorite one for you still on the board? I, I really like the Ravens, uh, uh, even at minus money, minus 130 is, is where I'm seeing the price. I, I think for me, I love what the Bengals are doing. I love what, how Burrow looks now, but Jamar Chase could be missing time with a back injury, and they got themselves into that hole that's going to be so hard for them to climb back out of and win this division away from the Baltimore Ravens. And then you could talk about the Cleveland Browns maybe being frisky or the Pittsburgh Steelers being frisky. This Baltimore Ravens team is built to win on both sides of the ball for the first time in a long time, in my opinion, like a very in a very stable way. I love what Mike McDonald is doing defensively, offensively. Tom Monken and Lamar Jackson are very quietly having like the best drop back passing season he's had in his career. The stats maybe aren't saying that he's been, at least on his MVP reign, but like, Man, I, I really do think that this Baltimore Ravens team is as good as their record, if not better. And already having a two-game lead in the division and still only at minus 130 because people are worried about just the meat grinder the division is and like them beating up on each other. I think the Ravens are comfortably better than the Browns and comfortably better than the Steelers. The Bengals matchups will be the difficult ones. But man, I, I, they already have a win over the Bengals in this division. I, I think the Baltimore Ravens are the best bet. Yeah, I, I like that. That was one that was on my list uh, for consideration here. As you mentioned, already up two games in division, which I think is massive, and they have road wins over the Bengals and the Browns. So all of the games that they have left in division are at home. So a really advantageous situation. Uh, it feels like 130 is maybe a little bit uh, a little bit off here. You know, I, I feel like their odds are probably a little bit better than that. One that also stands out to me, the Bills, uh, plus 270 at DraftKings. They are just one game back of the Dolphins. Uh, like people are acting like this Bills team is dead. You know, like, yeah, I, I think they're going to figure it out. You know, like they still have one of the best quarterbacks. Actually, you know what? People are acting as if Josh Allen is having a terrible season. 
and he is throwing a lot of interceptions. Like he does lead the league in interceptions, but like, how is this any different than any other Josh Allen year? Like he, he just, he throws interceptions. That's what he does. Like you just live with it because everything else that comes along with the interceptions is good on its own. And he's number one in ESPN's QBR. He's number two in composite EPA and completion percentage over expectation, like Josh Allen is still having a really good year. And the defense at some point is going to get better. It's, it's not going to be like the league best defense that it was in previous seasons, but it's not going to be the wounded travesty that it has been the past month. Like they will find schematic ways to get things better and they will find players to plug in and adapt some of what they're doing. So I think the defense will get just good enough. And with Josh Allen there, like, I mean, like Tua, I love Tua. I have a ticket on him to win MVP. Uh, but Josh Allen is the better quarterback. Like I'll just sort of assert that as like football fact, although some people might disagree. But I, I will say that Josh Allen is the better quarterback than Tua. You know, like we, you know, we have thought that for years. I think that is probably still the case. They have the best quarterback in their division and they're only one game back and they have already beaten very handily the Dolphins. So if they beat them again, they have the head to head tiebreaker. So as long as they can keep pace with the Dolphins to that point where they match up with them again and then they win that game, uh, you know, they're right there. And plus 270 feels like it is far too long of odds given that they are just one game back of the Dolphins and have already beat them. Do you have any opinions on this? I am just, I guess, licking my chops at the idea of a Bills-Dolphins Week 18 game being, or Week week, yeah, week, week 18 game being like for the division. That to me is like yes. what I want to see. I want to see that. That sounds like uh, get your popcorn ready type of TV. I think that'd be awesome to see. I think the Bills are a good value. Um, if you're not looking at like a current division favorite um, and for all the reasons that you said, right. I mean, like I think Josh Allen's the best quarterback in that division and they're only one game back that to me with the coach that they have, they're going to figure it out. I think for Miami, I have confidence that the, that the offense gets figured out, but I have less confidence in Tua being the player that Josh Allen is capable of being when trailing, when things, you know, when, when adversity strikes. All right the market to be the number one seed. Uh, this is an intriguing market. It's not available at every book, uh, but you know, increasingly more books are posting this. Uh, and I'm looking specifically at DraftKings right now. Um, the Eagles are minus 110. Uh, and then in the AFC, you have the Chiefs at minus, no, sorry, plus 150. Uh, any thoughts here? Uh, on on how we might see this unfold. Yeah, if you're betting Lamar Jackson MVP tickets, maybe look at Baltimore Ravens plus three twenty. I don't know if that value makes much sense at that point. Maybe just bet Lamar Jackson at five to one to win MVP. Maybe that's better pricing. Um, yeah. But I don't know. I, I, I I'll probably stay away from this market. I don't really like any of the bets in the NFC. Niners. Ooh, I want to see what their what their punch back is before I'm I'm looking at the San Francisco 49ers as a team that could come back and, and, and steal the the first seed away from the Philadelphia Eagles and then the AFC. It's going to be a, it's a two dog race in my opinion between the Baltimore Ravens and Kansas City Chiefs. I think you're getting better pricing on Jackson as the MVP. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, Eagles, given that they are already eight and one. Um, that kind of stands out to me, but you know, minus one ten, it's like uh, maybe just bet Jalen hurts to, to win the MVP, but they do have a tough schedule after the week 10 by uh, an incredibly tough schedule at the chiefs uh, and then hosting the bills, hosting the 49ers and then back to back road games in Cowboys and uh, Seahawks. So, you know, tough schedule coming up for the Eagles after the bye. but uh, yeah, I mean that they're eight and one. Uh, it just feels like it is definitely theirs uh, for the taking. And if they somehow do not get the number one seed, it feels like there has to be not something like catastrophic, but like they just did not. Uh, they did not at all take care of business in this five game stretch they have coming out of the bye. All right, the Super Bowl market, which is uh, it's funny because like this is a market that I feel like lots of people care about, um, but 
sometimes it's a market where there's really not much value. Uh, but uh, any thoughts here on Super Bowl bets, favorite Super Bowl bets, or I'll say like Super Bowl slash conference winner, because conference winner is just sort of like yeah. a derivative of the Super Bowl bet. Yeah, I, I think that my, my recommendation betting mid-season futures on the Super Bowl is if you aren't, if you don't like the value of the two projected number one seeds, you know, right now the Kansas City Chiefs, I'm seeing them at plus 490, Philadelphia Eagles at plus 500. If you don't like the value of the first two, you know, the projected first two seeds, then you look at a team like the Baltimore Ravens. We talk about them a ton, but a team like the Baltimore Ravens who's going to have lower odds because they're not currently projected to get the number one seed, but you know could be the number one seed at the end of the season. They're at plus 850. That's what I'm thinking about. But honestly, my favorite, and then so then the next process in betting is who do you think if they don't get the number one seed can go on the road throughout the playoffs, not have the first round by, and actually has everything necessary to win those kind of games, three games to get there and road games. And it's the Cincinnati Bengals, dude. They've done it before. I, I, I honestly think that the Cincinnati Bengals at 14-1, to with how well Joe Burrow is playing, have to think Jamar Chase with the back injury is fully healthy by then. And I think they can even win without Chase with how well Burrow is playing. Defensively, Anarumo, I think, is finding ways to improve as, as the season progresses, even from last year. I, I think that that is a team that if, if such, when they get in, if you don't like the pricing of the number one seeds or the projected number one seeds or whatever, that's a team that I'm like, they can win three to get there. They can win three to get there. They can go on the road. They have one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Like, I think because of the slow start for Cincinnati, we're forgetting how good Joe Burrow is. And forgetting, like, when he's dialed and fully healthy and the, there is no heating thing on his calf, he is in the conversation for second-best quarterback in the league. I think that Josh Allen is oftentimes there. Lamar Jackson, I think, has flirted with that number two spot behind Mahomes. But when Burrow is dialed, he's number two right behind Mahomes. And he's proven that he can beat Mahomes even. So, I don't know. I think Burrow at 14-1 to right now, that, that, that's something that I, I'll probably put some, I'll put some money on for sure. Here's what I like about the Bengals at 14 to one, like entering the season, they were nine to one. And so we are getting them at this, this buy low opportunity. And you look at all of the other teams ahead of them. They had longer odds in the preseason market than they had now, right? So the chiefs were uh plus five fifty. The Eagles were nine to one. 49ers were nine to one. Ravens were 25 to one. Dolphins, 25 to one. Dallas, 18 to one. All of those teams now have far shorter odds than they had. But here with the Bengals, they were nine to one. We are getting them at a discount to where they were, you know, two and a half months ago. And the question of like, okay, well, has anything changed? Is there anything really significant that would make us think that the team they were then is not the same team now? And the answer is no. Like, you know, nothing has really materially changed. All that happened was Joe Burrow had a minor injury for a little bit that slowed the team at the beginning of the year. But at this point in time, right now, they are still basically the team that everyone thought they were entering the year. Their defense is maybe just a smidge not as good, but they're basically still the same team. And so as you, as you mentioned, right, they, like we know we have proof that this is a team that can't win in the playoffs and actually get to the Super Bowl. We've seen them compete in a Super Bowl and, you know, come very close to winning the thing. So at 14 to one, that feels like tremendous value. I really do like that. And then the Ravens at uh plus nine fifty at DraftKings. I mean, man, like this is, this is an elite defense. And they struggled early in the year with a whole lot of injuries. And even with that, they were still very strong defensively. And I think like those injuries, like actually were maybe a, not a blessing, but like it forced them to learn how to do more things with their defense and to play in multiple ways. And so now that they have all of their players healthy, it just feels like they are such a beast on the defensive side of the ball to where even if offensively Lamar isn't having his best game, Monken isn't having his best game as a play caller, the defense can still yeah. really help them out. And then, so, you know, on the offense, they have an MVP caliber quarterback. They have an improving offense. They have a stable head coach up top and they have a really strong culture. Like that just, you put all that together, it feels like plus 950, probably some value there. Anything further down the board, 
you know, I, I know that it's, it's really tempting to look at the stuff at the top and sort of like cut a hard line and say like, these are the teams that have a realistic chance and everyone below here doesn't, but you've still got the bills at 22 to one. I mean, it feels disgusting to say it. You still have the Browns at 40 to one. Like they have a great defense in theory. They have a quarterback who could get better. Right. So like, are there any teams further down the board who maybe just intrigue you enough? Not to say that you're actually going to bet it, but who at least have like a potential thesis that you would consider. Um, it's tough. You know, I think if there was another team I'm betting, I'm probably betting the Ravens for a lot of the reasons that you said. And I think this would be the de- best defense the Ravens have gotten in the playoffs with since like 2000 Ravens. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I think that I think that the Ravens are, are my favorite other team. If I'm not betting the Bengals or any of the top two favorites, if I if I'm looking down the board, call me call me stupid. But the Los Angeles Chargers, who aren't even guaranteed to make the playoffs, but like if they make the playoffs. I am a huge fan of Justin Herbert. I, I think Justin Herbert is as capable as any of the top quarterbacks in the league. I think putting it all together without a healthy Mike Williams and with Brandon Staley and that defense still being like awful, like just awful since it started. I mean, he's come over and brought new players and done all of these things. Like the defense for the Chargers worries me so much about their postseason potential because. As good as Herbert can be with a banged up offense, you know, Josh Palmer missed last night's game. Obviously, Mike Williams out for the rest of the season. Like, you factor that in with the defense that has just not met expectation week in, week out, not met expectation. It's hard to bet them to win three games to get to the bowl and then win that. But maybe you're looking down the board and you're trying to bet a good quarterback, right? I think he's going to be the best quarterback, one of the top five quarterbacks that'll have the lowest odds to win the Super Bowl. All right. With that in mind, I have one more quick question here. Do you think Aaron Rodgers plays a game this year? <laughs> Man, I think so. I, I think he does. I think he does. I think he he plays a game okay. this season. Because think about how the last game of the regular season is January 7th. So you're not yeah. getting it that following week is the start of wildcard weekend. Say he doesn't play that. <laughs> you know, I don't I don't think the Jets win, but if they do, that divisional round return. Maybe, maybe. I mean, he's saying after the game, I don't know if you saw the clip, but he's telling Derwin James that give me a couple weeks for him to come back. That would be absolutely bananas. But what about Aaron Rodgers have we learned that isn't absolutely bananas? Like what he is someone who loves attention, craves it, needs it. And he's someone who likes to beat the odds, man, specifically science. He's someone who likes to beat the odds and beat science. So I don't know. I think he's someone that he gets some doctor saying, dude, you can come back next week. He could do it. Like He actually could do it. And maybe he's as mobile as half of what Burrow was at the start of this season. But maybe that's – I mean, that is enough to be better than Zach Wilson at this point. He is completely unplayable. I tweeted it last night. They play him moving forward. You're getting to the rate where you're going to lose the locker room. Like you're just going to lose the defense because the defense is playing so lights out so well. Like the Chargers offense was as bad as the Jets offense. Yet they had a short field to to score the Eckler touchdown and Darius Davis returned a special touchdown. Like the Jets defense held the Chargers to what the Jets were offensively. (laughs) That to me is like you gotta you gotta find a way, even if it's not a better option, just someone else because this ain't working. Yeah. All right. Well, with the idea in mind that Aaron Rodgers does return this year, I'm not going to say that 140 to one on the Jets to win the Super Bowl is a viable bet, <laughs> but it at least has my it has my attention. Uh, you know, so I'm I'm going to think about that just a little bit. Uh, again, I will probably not bet that, but uh, man, I I think there's actually. There's a possibility there. Like if Rodgers plays, you have a Hall of Fame quarterback with one of the best defenses in the league in the playoffs. It feels like, um, I don't know. I mean, plus 140, not plus 140, uh, 140 to one. I don't know. That's maybe just slightly too short, but not enough to make me bet it. The good news is if you don't bet it, you're still going to be at an all-time high rooting for the most insane thing to have ever happened in the history of the league. Because <laughs> if he comes back and yeah. he wins, he, he's like on his way to winning a Super Bowl, like 
it'll be the craziest story ever. And uh, even not having money yeah. on 140 to one, the the zeal is going to be unreal. All right, uh, Austin, this was awesome having you on the show. Plug everything that you guys have going on at The Ringer. Yeah, definitely check out TheRinger.com, consistently publishing good NFL content, shouting out some writers like Ben Solak, Stephen Ruiz. We, we, we are doing a ton of fun stuff on .com. And then for the podcasting side, Ringer NFL, Ringer Gambling Show, and also the Ringer Fantasy Football Podcast. If, if any of those three things or all of those three, three, three things tickle your fantasy, those are definitely the places to go. All right. This was awesome. Austin, thank you so much for joining us. That is going to do it for this episode of the Betting Life Podcast brought to you by Fantasy Life. Please subscribe to the show. Tell your degenerate betting friends. Join the Discord. See all of our bets in the free Fantasy Life Bet Tracker and follow us on social media at AustinGale underscore and Matt F. The Oracle. Thank you and see you again next episode.